Jeff has an... You do a lot of things for us. You sing. You chug unholy amounts of Diet Mountain Dew. What is the song that comes to mind when you think of everything, all of the billions of dollars you've seen move around Major League Baseball over this offseason? The first one that came to mind was Mo Money, Mo Problems by Biggie Smalls. <laughs> because some of these contracts, Pablo, are not going to age well. And they're the sorts of things that can be anchors on teams, especially teams that maybe pushing their budgetary constraints by giving out these sorts of dollars. But I really ended up landing on what's actually one of my favorite songs of all time. And if you have not done the Pink Floyd, Dark Side of the Moon, uh, Wizard of Oz combo, Ooh. I highly recommend it. Oh, yeah. Like legitimate good time. <laughs> it's a real thing. Absolutely. This is a separate podcast that we have to do on another company, but I fully co-sign <laughs> everything you say. But uh, Money by Pink Floyd, when we get to the chorus and it goes, I'm in that high fidelity, first class traveling set, and I think I need a Learjet. Like, a bunch of guys can afford a Learjet now. That's the kind of money that's being thrown around in baseball. Aaron Judge remaining in pinstripes, nine years, 360 million. Trey Turner just signed 11 years, 300 million full no trade clause. The Red Sox endeavors came to a contract extension agreement today that will make him the highest paid player in franchise history. It is a record offseason financially. Dansby Swanson is in agreement on a seven-year, $177 million deal. Edwin Diaz, who been arguably the best closer in baseball, signed with the Mets to five years, $102 million. You know, I was talking with somebody yesterday, and he said, hey, remember when Major League Baseball during COVID said that things are horrendous financially? Yes. Well, here we are less than three years later, and the financial state of Major League Baseball, at least in terms of the contracts that are being given out, is as healthy as it's ever been. What you're saying is that there's a degree to which everybody is kind of comfortably numb. Oh. <laughs> this podcast is over, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for coming. <laughs> we'll see you tomorrow. Good night. Now let's talk about the play of the week. The pressure to follow up Hypnotic and Cognac weighing heavy on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup, blue, and ready for the play. And boom, Añejo Tequila came in with the smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. Shaken, strained, poured. It was green and good. The playmaking splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the Hypnotic team. Every season is hypnotic and tequila season. Hypnotic liqueur, Bardstown, Kentucky. 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. We should all have a friend like Jeff Passan, by the way. Someone who laughs at all of our jokes, applauds us at the beginning of our podcast. But all of my Pink Floyd references aside here, something seismic really is happening in Major League Baseball right now. And maybe you didn't notice it from your vantage point down here among the proletariat. You know, as we are all sunk into our uh, dorm room beanbag chair, Dark Side of the Moon on obvious repeat. But 
they absolutely noticed all of it up above. Up among the 1% of the 1% of the 1% where unprecedented billions of dollars have been on the move this winter. So today, we ask Jeff Passan to explain the evolving economy of our national pastime. The resentment it is currently fueling, not among fans, but among ownership. And yes, just the latest difference between us and them. Hi, Pablo Torre. It's Tuesday, January 24th, and this is ESPN Daily. So, Jeff, I'm here to talk to you as much as anything today about money. Because I have been trying to pay attention to, yes, the billions of dollars moving around the economy that you cover. And this offseason, look, we're, we're almost entirely through it. Spring training is just around the corner. When you look at the landscape financially of this sport, how do you begin to describe what the offseason just proved to you? I think there are a few ways to look at it, Pablo. Um, we, we can start with the number. 3.8 plus billion dollars guaranteed. And, and I want to I want to make sure that we use that word right there because Major League Baseball contracts are not football contracts. They are not basketball contracts. Right. They are fully guaranteed unless you go out and get suspended or unless you breach them to the point where a team tries to convert it to non-guaranteed. And oh, by the way, that has never worked. Like, ever. It just does not happen. Correct. <laughs> you are going to get the money that you were promised. Yes. So this $3.8 billion, it is going into players' pockets no matter what. Half of that $3.8 billion is going to nine guys. The nine guys who got nine-figure contracts, who were all expected to get that, but many of whom, frankly, outdid even the highest expectation. But beyond that, you have a robust middle class, which was an enormous concern going into this new collective bargaining agreement for players that the middle class was disappearing. And even on the lower end of things, you've got players who are getting multi-year contracts who in the past did not. You've got you know more than 50 multi-year contracts this year. And it's just been a tremendous windfall for players and something that... I think baseball observers have been awaiting for a long time because the money has been there and the anger from the players that led to the lockout last offseason, it was percolating because they felt like they should be getting a larger piece of the pie than they were. And the sport was pushed to the precipice of disaster yes. because the players were holding out for as much as they did. So if the players are getting a bigger share of the pie, as they have been crying out for for a really long time now, I am curious, who's actually handing over this money? It's no surprise, Pablo, that the highest spending team this year is the New York Yankees because, number one, they are the New York Yankees, but because, two, they gave out the largest contract this winter, a nine-year, $360 million deal to re-sign their superstar American League MVP, AL home run champion Aaron Judge. 
That was a deal that they needed to do. They could have gotten him for probably $100 million less if they had done it mm. six months earlier. But, you know, them's, them's the breaks. Up there also are the New York Mets. And yeah. the Mets are interesting, spending almost half a billion dollars, and the Yankees are at almost $575 million. The Mets are interesting because they're just trying to buy a championship right now. And... God bless them for doing it. Uh, you look at Mets fans who have been tortured for 30-plus years now with mediocre ownership, and all of a sudden Steve Cohen comes in and is the uh, platonic ideal of sports owners. Mm. He comes in and he says, I want to win. That's all I do. I have goo gobs of money, and I'm going to spend them on this baseball team. And oh, by the way, I'm going to spend enough money where we don't have to trade our top prospects so we can grow internally and our farm system can be good. And then we can get the type of organization like the Dodgers have or like the Rays have, except with some actual money. The Vets resetting essentially like both the economy and how it works and also instituting rules changes as a result like, I do want to just better clarify what it is that Steve Cohen is, because we are, <laughs> again, I think a little numb to like, hey, here's a billionaire finance guy coming in saying he wants to win and he has all of this money and he's going to force other teams to spend. But what Steve Cohen is doing is particularly unique, isn't it? Yeah, he's he's changing the expectations of ownership. Like that to me is the biggest impact that Steve Cohen is having right now. Every owner can sit there and say, well, we want to run with a budget. We want to be financially responsible. We're trying to sustain this over a long run. And Steve Cohen's like, F that. I'm coming in <laughs> and I am tired of the New York Mets, this team that I love, and baseball seasons without a ring on their finger. And if that means taking my payroll to the point not just $233 million, which is the first luxury tax threshold, not 253, which is the second, not 273, which is the third, not 293, which Pablo, by the way, is called the Steve Cohen tax because <laughs> it was put in the collective bargaining agreement specifically to keep teams from reaching this obscene level of payroll compared to some of the other teams out there. And Steve Cohen says, you know, if a tax is going to be named after me, might as well exceed it. Man. He's going to go 70 to $80 million over his eponymous tax. At that point, all the money that he spends past that $293 million, Pablo, gets taxed at a 90% rate. So essentially, each of those dollars that Steve Cohen is spending past that point, he's paying double for. So in the end, when it is all said and done, the New York Mets payroll plus their taxes, the number is going to be well in excess of $450 million laid out for a baseball team, which is a number that we have not come close to seeing in the history of the sport. And the fact that Steve Cohen's doing this two years into his tenure as Mets owner speaks to a paradigm shift, I think, in the game of baseball and in questions that are going to be asked, especially if the Mets win, is this good for the sport? 
And how do teams in an uncapped sport right. compete? Like, that's the thing. Right. You have haves and you have have-nots. And I really want to understand the degree to which there was really this de facto gentleman's agreement to not spend this much on the team that you just bought, right? Because every baseball fan's dream, Jeff, at bottom here, is for the owner of their team to care about winning just as much as we do. Because yes, if we had your money, guess what we would do? We would get all of these guys, just as Steve Cohen has seemingly tried to do. But the haves and the have-nots here, that division among owners... I am curious what's brewing exactly among the ownership underclass, so to speak. And by that, I mean the lesser billionaires who, yeah, may resent Steve Cohen's liquidity. I want to tell a story, Pablo, about haves and have-nots. Because much like one's class in life, much like one's state in the world, haves and have-nots are not set in stone. Have-nots can become haves, and they can become haves through decisions. And there was a decision that was made in recent years by a team out on the West Coast, a team that had been staring up in the standings at a division rival that for almost a decade had just absolutely dominated its division. That was the San Diego Padres. Yeah, And the San Diego Padres made an active choice. And that choice, among many, was to give equity to a private equity company named Aries Management in exchange for cash. And to take that cash and reinvest it not in infrastructure, not in analytics, not in any of the things that other teams might. They invested it in players. And they invested it in players because, number one, A.J. Preller, their swashbuckling general manager, his whole career has been built on being an extraordinary evaluator of players. He's done that forever. What he has built in San Diego, signing Manny Machado, trading for Fernando Tatis Jr. and signing him to a long-term extension, trading for Juan Soto, and trying to lock him up. But if not, then, hey, they got Juan Soto for a couple of years. In this offseason, giving Xander Bogarts a 30-year-old shortstop 11 years and $280 million when the industry thought he was going to get maybe seven years and at best 200 to $210 million, Yep. That's the sort of thing that keeps you from being a have-not. And the Padres made an active choice. They could have sat back and done what so many other smaller market teams do, which is, you know what? Play out the string. Hey, we're going to have good attendance and we're going to make yeah. lots of money and concessions and parking and we're going to run a good baseball team out there. And it's going to be great because, hey, the Chargers moved. There's no NBA team here. There's no NHL team here. We own this city. Why do we need to invest? The answer is because every single night this summer, Petco Park is going to be sold out and is going to be absolutely raucous. And how that is not an example to every other smaller market, lower revenue team out there to follow and, and to copy and to try and emulate, like the blueprint is there, guys. 
it's there. And it's not just there at the top end with the Mets going out and spending all the money. It's there also for organizations that are willing to give up a little equity in exchange for relevancy, relevancy that in the short term is uh, immutable and that in the long term, because of short term success, may eventually become standard. Yeah, I mean, what you're saying is that there is a hierarchy in baseball, but it is not a caste system. Yeah. You are not born into it and forced to remain there as a function of where you were born. And so the Padres, to you, are this model that says to the lower rung teams, the small market teams, what? Your excuses this entire time were bullshit. Yeah. Right. Can we run through the excuses? Can we run through how it is that there are just this many teams who for so long have been getting away with being cheap? I mean, that's what's called what it is, right? Relatively speaking, these teams have been cheap. Yeah, I think it starts with market size. And here's the thing. As somebody who grew up in Cleveland and who lives in Kansas City now, I'm not going to suggest that market size is irrelevant there are inherent advantages to every big city team. Like yes. the size of the corporate donorship, the size of the fan base, the size of the salaries are larger. Your local TV deals, right? No like doubt. your market size informs your RSN, your regional sports network contract. Mm -hmm. But I think there's also been, it's almost like, when you're in a small market, there's a resignation to being a lesser than. And frankly, what the San Diego Padres are doing is saying, we own an asset that is worth a lot of money and we are going to borrow against that asset. If you run like a plumbing company, right? You do not want your expenses to exceed what's coming in in terms of your, your cash. Like you, uh, I'm sorry, that is a failing business right there. Correct. But when you're in a business like sports where you could turn around tomorrow, if you're the San Diego Padres, sell this organization for multiple billions of dollars and, uh, you know, walk away with immense amounts of profit compared to what you paid for it. What they're doing, Pablo, is they are borrowing against their future to make that future bigger. Well, let's lay out the risks here in fairness to the risk averse slash outright cheap. The fear is that this may not work. Yeah. Like we're going to spend all this money on all of these guys and these guys may suck, get hurt. We just might not win. In which case, what does the story look like then? Well, uh, I, I think it depends and it depends on how the fans react, right? Are fans going to be fickle enough where the effort does not matter, where the intent is irrelevant, where the only thing that keeps them around are wins and losses and the chasing of those wins to try and get a ring? Yes, Jeff. It kind of feels like the answer might be yes. Yeah. I mean, it's an experiment that's, that's playing out in real time right now, and... The person in me from Cleveland who grew up without <laughs> championships and that's right, like really, really admires cities that stick by teams and fans who stick by teams that don't win wants to see the Padres win. The reporter in me 
wants to see the story of what happens when they don't because it's so fascinating. Like, it's such an interesting case study. I don't know the answer to this. I don't. Are the San Diego Padres the, the team that I'm sitting here praising as the bastion of what small market baseball teams can and should look like? Are they going to turn out to be an epic failure? And this is going to be a lesson in how badly things can go. And teams are going to point to them as saying, hey, look, they did it. And look what happened. They stink. And it blew up in their face. And who chases free agents? Like, who spends in an irrational market? Why would you do that? That could very well happen. And if so, I'm happy to come back onto this podcast and eat a big old plate of crow and... Yeah, sing sing a literally different tune. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, will, I will rap Mo Money Mo Problems if that happens. Yeah, a break has, I think, seldom been so necessary on this show as it is with you threatening to do that right now. But, okay, you have raised the idea of that underclass possibly rethinking frugality. And so when we return, I want to know how much of that rethinking might be decided by the league itself. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home some huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. The point that we're circling here truly is that the risk that we're describing is worth taking and not taken nearly enough to the point where, Jeff, just to lay out the landscape here in terms of just how many teams are still spending under like $100 million, right? Like sub nine figure payrolls here. What are we dealing with just to give a give a number to to that side of the ledger? This winter, there have been 10 teams that have exceeded $100 million in off-season free agent spending and 20 teams that have not. In terms of total payroll, Pablo, nearly a third of the league is under $100 million at this point. And it's, you know, it's all the, the usual suspects, right? You've got Baltimore and the Orioles who are harboring contention this year at $65 million. You've got Tampa Bay, another team that is seemingly every year now in the playoffs at $67 million. Oakland is just horrendous. They're barely over $50 million at this point. It's, it's a bunch of teams that 
really generally you're not going to win. Kansas City, 82 million. Pittsburgh, 71 million. Cincinnati, 79 million. Cleveland, another example of a, a team that actually is good despite a low payroll. They're at 87 million. Like these are teams that look at the Mets and, and can say legitimately you're spending 5x what we are. How can we be expected to compete at this point? And I wish there were just one day a year, ownership accountability day, mm. where owners would answer those, answer those questions very simply. Why aren't you spending more? Why is the budget what it is? What is the plan? Are you saving money for the day when you're good? And if so, wouldn't you be able to accelerate the point at which you would be good by spending right now? The demands of baseball fans are so enormous. We, we, I cannot understate this. You are being asked to watch a 30-minute pregame show, a three-plus, but maybe not with a pitch clock, and we'll get to that at some point soon because the pitch clock is going to yep. be awesome. Yep. I'm very, very, very excited for that. So let's just say a two-and-a-half-hour game, the investment every single day that baseball is asking of you as a fan you better be giving something back to those fans who you're asking to invest that much time in you. Yeah, I mean, look, you mentioned the A's, and I just want to put this number out clearly here because the Mets payroll is projected to be 450% higher than the A's, who are at the very bottom of all of baseball. And the thing about the A's, right, of course, is Moneyball. And when we think of Moneyball, it's funny to think about how little money is associated with what we think about it. Like, they are obviously spendthrifts. But the thing that Tampa did, the thing that Cleveland did, was import some of that numerical fluency and then also win with lower payrolls. And they're doing it. So the question I think that the Guardians have, that the Rays have now, is like, why would we do what the Padres are doing when we're spending less and getting Close to the same results. It's it's a fair and reasonable question to ask. I think the ultimate answer can be, in, in the case of the Guardians, elucidated through four digits. One, nine, four, eight. That was the last year that the organization won a World Series. <laughs> it's been 75 years. 75. My dad was 10. When the Indians won. And he's like, he's been a fan for his entire life. And he's really old. And he was 10. It's been that long. My my friends who still live there. I mean, we're we're on a text chain all the time, and they're just they're defeated by this. And I I don't think in Tampa and in the Tampa Bay area, the love of the Rays is acute enough and widespread enough for anyone to get all that angry about it? Well, yeah, the fact that they have never yeah. won, incidentally, they, they have today. And they've, they've come close. But the Guardians are being bought by David Blitzer. Mm, owner of the Sixers, another private equity prince, yeah. So the idea that they're going to be this team that isn't spending money and is running sub-$100 million payrolls, that may not be around for long. And it all Pablo goes back to ownership. It 
always goes back to ownership. Yes. Yes. I used to think the best franchises were the ones that had the best processes in place, that had the best leadership in place, that had the best management, that were the most efficient. No. The best franchises are the ones with the best owners. Like that, that's just, it's as simple as that. If you have ownership that is invested in winning, that is what gives you a greater opportunity to win a championship than anything. I mean, there's also just this general philosophy, I think, that I, I, I do want to also articulate quite bluntly, which is that as fans, there is no reason to root for your owner to save money. <laughs> <laughs> like, there just isn't. I can't, I, I, I look, I, am, I, I enjoy cosplaying billionaire defense attorney with you. I just can't come up with a plausible reason why any baseball fan, any sports fan is like, I like that my owner has the behavior of a cheap person, even though he's very rich. Yeah, I, I mean, listen, you can respect a businessman or a businesswoman for his or her acumen. Sure. You can understand why a businessman or a businesswoman would want to run as lean and clean a shop as possible. But if you're a fan, like, if you are a true fanatic, there's no reason you shouldn't be screaming for them to spend as much money as humanly possible. Right, because look, as you mentioned earlier, Jeff, this is a sport that, unlike the NFL, unlike the NBA, it just doesn't have a salary cap of any kind, right? Like, baseball tries to tamp down spending by using their version of a luxury tax. And for more than a generation at this point, owners in baseball have tried to enact a salary cap to save themselves from spending more to no avail. And so with this kind of spending now taking place among this key set of teams, do you see a salary cap in baseball finally on the way? I mean, the league is always going to push for a salary cap, right? And and if, the, if there is as enormous a gap between the top spenders and the bottom spenders as there is, there's going to be a not insignificant number of fans out there who say, yeah, there should be a salary cap. That's the only way to make things fair. It's the only way for parity. But if if you look at just in terms of teams that have made the playoffs, Pablo, uh, and organizations that have found success in that regard, Major League Baseball is no different than the NFL or the NBA or the NHL. The presence of a cap does not in and of itself make for more parity than, frankly, what we've got right now in baseball. It's a tough thing to wrap your head around because you would think that if everybody can spend X amount of dollars, then of course it's going to be more fair. But in reality, it just kind of doesn't play out that way. You can have a high payroll baseball team that stinks. We've seen that. You can have a low payroll baseball team that succeeds. And so if we get to the point where Major League Baseball is pushing harder and harder for a cap, um, it's going to make 2022 look like child's play. We'll miss a year of baseball. Yeah, you're talking about another potential lockout. Like we saw in 2022, if MLB ever tries to institute, yes, a salary cap of any kind. I'm not trying to be alarmist. I'm not trying to suggest that, you know, baseball years from now is going to shut down. How long can baseball survive without a cap? I think ad infinitum, but it, 
it's it's a much different scenario if we're we're staring at this landscape where the sport goes away for a year and and relevancy gets thrown into question. And I think that the owners, I think they're smart enough to understand you can't cut off your nose to spite your face. And players will say no to a salary cap. It's a complete non-starter. And so if you want to put more taxes in place, if you want to dock more draft picks, if, you know, there there are going to be all kinds of penalties that the league would propose that the players are going to say no to. And you just have to hope that they understand that life without baseball is an extraordinarily problematic thing for the future of baseball. We have a hell of a season coming up in 2023 with all kinds of interesting storylines and plot lines and characters. It's it's a year that I'm looking more forward to, yeah. honestly, than I have for a baseball season in a long time. So just to sum it all up here, then, Jeff, what you're saying is that all in all, it's just another brick in the wall. <laughs> oh my God. Pablo Torre, I I have to commend you. <laughs> you are truly great at the really awful things. <laughs> Jeff Hassan, I like to think that uh, you're exactly the same way. <laughs> <laughs> we're we're there we're there hand in hand, Pablo, and I uh, would would not want to be there with anyone else. <laughs> Thanks for doing this, man. Thanks, buddy. I am Pablo Torre. This has been ESPN Daily. And I'll talk to you tomorrow.